Good morning, Parkway Church. How you guys doing? Good. So glad you're here with us today, whether you're gathered at Parkway Victoria or Parkway Port Lavaca, Parkway Lone Tree or Parkway Online. We are so, so glad you're here. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here, and it's my privilege today to open the Bible with you. We're in a journey through Scripture together this year. We're getting to know the major players in Scripture, seeing the theological threads that run throughout the Bible, discovering the story of God through Scripture. And we're in the midst of a series entitled, The God I Wish You Knew, where we're studying the Old Testament prophets. And so today we're going to study the book of Ezekiel. And so if you brought your Bible, go ahead and use that table of contents and turn to the book of Ezekiel. Find that book with me as you go. Let me just give you an update or catch you up on where we have been in this series. This series is all about introducing God to you through the passionate view of the Old Testament prophets. We began with the prophet Isaiah and the fact that Isaiah looked and saw a vision of God and he said, God, you are holy and I'm not. And we looked and said, God, you make us holy as you are holy. And that's only possible by having a relationship with Jesus and by following him with all of our lives. And then we moved from Isaiah with this big picture of a holy God. We moved to the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He cried and he, he carried this heavy burden for the people. And Jeremiah came with the message that God is judge. If Isaiah was God is holy and he's on his throne, then, then Jeremiah brought God down and said, God is judge. And so he's carrying his gavel and he's wearing his black gown. And the fact that God is judge is a really good thing. Because when God judges us based on his holiness, when God judges us, he disciplines us and then he brings us grace. His grace and his discipline are always linked. And we learned that through the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, his ministry was so extensive that he wrote a second book. And that was the book of Lamentations. And that's where we studied last week. You see, Mike, we studied Lamentations last week? Yes, we studied Lamentations last week. And you're like, I am so glad I didn't come to church last week. But Lamentations is one of those books that is kind of wrongly named. Like Iceland and Greenland, you know that the Vikings tried to trick everybody? I mean, pre-internet, here's what they did. They named Greenland like the, the, the iciest land you could, they named it Greenland, and then the prettiest land they could, they named it Iceland. And so in the Bible, we see Jeremiah's Lamentations, and we think that must all be bad news. But no, we learned last week that God's faithfulness is like the sunrise, and that he comforts the broken, that when we call to him, he comes near to us, and when he comes near to us, he removes fear from our lives. So that book of Lamentations Sure, it's the story of woe and trouble that's coming on the people of God. They've rebelled against God and they continue to rebel against God. And because of that, the Babylonians have surrounded them and they're about to be overtaken and, and, and like literally removed from the land. But God, through the prophet Jeremiah, says that's not where the story ends. And today we're gonna pick up the story in the prophet, with the prophet Ezekiel. The people of God have been taken from their homeland. They're now in Babylon. And we're about to hear from a young prophet that is, oh, he, he gets a picture. He has an experience with God and has a message for all of us today. And what we're going to learn today is that God is sovereign. 
You can fill in that blank. God is sovereign, which means we're going to learn today through Ezekiel that God is the one who's in charge of our lives, that he's the one who's in control of the past, the present, and the future. We're going to learn that he is the one who orders our steps and numbers our days. We're going to learn that God has a perfect plan for all of us, and his plan will always be lived out. In seminary, we had to take this course. In fact, it was a series of courses entitled Systematic Theology. And in Systematic Theology, we would read books that were like that thick. Or should I say, we were assigned books that were that thick. And I read most of them, I really did. But they were on character traits of God and they were on issues of theology. And when you would study as a seminarian, a young man, as you would study, and you'd learn that God is holy and that God is just, and then you'd learn that God is sovereign. It doesn't make as much impact as it does now some 20 years later. Because now with 20 years under my belt, I can see the sovereign hand of God in my life. I can see that God is in charge. And there are some parts of my life that I wished were vastly different. My mom is declining right now with Alzheimer's. And I wish that were different. But it's not. And God's in charge there are some parts in my life that I wish were different. I wish I was six foot four in this weight. Why are y'all laughing? I was vulnerable for a moment. There's another thing I wish would change. The sense of humor of this church. You know, there's some things in my life that I wish would change. But God's in charge. There are also some things in my life that I would never, ever change and that I could never, ever have on my own. And that's because God is in charge. I mean, you want proof that God is in charge? Look at my wife. God gave me, a, we go shopping, and the, the, it happens every time. They put the divider down between me and her. Like, we can't be, like, related to each other. I'm like, what? No, we're husband and wife. We're together. It's been a long time. We're still, anyway. God's in charge. I would never trade her because God gave me to her. He gave her to me. There are areas in our life where we need to remember that God's in charge because it's not just a theory of theology, but it's a reality of our day that when we know that God is in charge and that it's not all up to us, when we know God is in charge and that he has a plan for our life and will unfold that plan according to his timing, when we know that God is sovereign and we don't have to be in control of every detail of our lives, then we can have two things. We can have hope for the future and we can hold on to his promise. Y'all can fill in that blank. Because God is sovereign, what do you have? You have hope and you have promise. Friends, as we look at the book of Ezekiel today, I hope that God shows you that we can always trust in him. We can always hope in him because he's the one that's in charge. So Ezekiel chapter one, let's jump in together. In Ezekiel chapter one, the story begins. In my 30th year, that's Ezekiel's age. In my 30th year, in the fourth month on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles in the, by the Kabar River, 
the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. So the storyline is this. Five years in to being taken from Jerusalem, taken from the promised land, they are now in Babylon. They are now in in captivity. Again, here we are again. The people of God are captive to a foreign king. And so five years in, Ezekiel gets a picture of God. He gets a vision of God that is so powerful. And if you keep reading in Ezekiel chapter 1, you see that vision, that picture of God's throne unfold. We pick up the story in Ezekiel 2, verses 1 and 2. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. Why was he not on his feet? Well, he saw God, so he was once on his feet, but then he was on his face. I want to make sure that we're not too casual with our picture of God. When Ezekiel saw the glory of God, he was on his face. Because this God who's in charge is truly in charge. He's not just in charge of some things sometimes. He's in charge of all things at all times. He's not just in charge of some people. He's in charge of all people. And so when Ezekiel saw the Lord in this vision, he was on his face before God. Ezekiel 2, 3 through 8, let's keep reading. He said, son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites. So he's on his face, the spirit comes and lifts him up, and then God speaks to him and says, son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I'm sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Let's pause right there. So God is going to send this 30-year-old man to the Jewish people who are living in exile. Why are they in exile? They are in exile because they are being disciplined, being judged as a nation. They continued to turn their back to God instead of turning their face to God. And now he's sending a prophet to the people again. Never miss this. Each of these prophets were sent to people because people matter to God. And God never gives up on us. He continually sent prophets even when they were exiled, even when they were in a foreign land, because we matter. And he wants to have a relationship with us. And he wants our lives to mirror his lives as his people. And so he says, I'm sending you to some people who are, they are, they're obstinate and they are stubborn. These are the people that the sovereign Lord is sending you to. That word sovereign Lord is used 70 times in this book. If you ever need a reminder that God's in charge, if you're ever in a transition time in your life and you you say, God, I need to know your plan. If you're ever in a heartbreaking season and you say, God, I need to know that you are still in charge. Ezekiel is a great book to study because we learn about the sovereign Lord. And he says this to Ezekiel, verse five, and whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious people. They will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or of their words. Do not be afraid. Though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions, do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them. Though they are a rebellious people, you must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. Pause right there. God, the sovereign Lord, says to Ezekiel, I'm sending you to some people that are hard-headed. They are obstinate and they are stubborn. 
and I'm sending you to them so that they will know and acknowledge me. And I'm sending you to them, and your job is to do what I've asked you to do. I want you to know that when you realize that God is in charge of your life and you're not, you're only required to be faithful to God. You're only required to be obedient to and to be dependent upon God. You do what you do while you trust that God will do what only he can do. If God has a plan, and and maybe his plan is to send you to some hard-headed, stubborn, obstinate people. Maybe his plan is to send you through a season where you're going to learn to trust and obey and depend upon him. Maybe his plan is to send you through a season where you have great success and high points in life. But in all these seasons and all these times, he's the one that's still in charge. Over and over again, he tells Ezekiel, you're not responsible for the outcome. You're responsible for the faithfulness. And and we use this when we tell people to go out and share their faith. We say, you're not responsible for whether or not they believe. But I want you to know this. This is true in every area of life. We are responsible for our faithfulness. God is responsible for the results. As parents, we are responsible for our faithfulness. We can't change a heart. Only God can change a heart. He's responsible for the results. As employees or coworkers or business owners, we are responsible for our hard work, our dedication, our commitment, our integrity, our faithfulness at work. God is in charge of the results. Every area of life, this is true. And if we get it, we we. We see how God, when we know he's in charge, that removes fear from our lives. He told Ezekiel, don't be scared. I know that you're going to people who might say bad things, who might do bad things. It's a dangerous situation that I'm sending you into, but don't fear them because it's the sovereign Lord that you're following. When you know that the one that you're following is the sovereign Lord of the universe and your job is simply to be faithful, to be obedient and dependent upon him, that removes the fear. It's not your job to worry about advancement at work. It's your job to do a great job at work. It's not your job to determine every day of your kids' lives. And it's not your job to fill every day of your kids' lives. God is building the lives of your children. It's not your job to know every answer all the time. It is your job to trust the one who knows every answer all the time. We aren't responsible for everything. We're only responsible to be faithful and to be obedient, dependent upon him. He says, don't be like the others. Verse eight, but you son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. We're about to see this really strange interaction between the heavens and Ezekiel. God's about to give him his word, his message to share with the people. Listen to how it plays out. Ezekiel 2, 9 through 10. Then I looked up and saw a hand stretched out to me. It was a scroll, which he unrolled before me. 
On both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. That same message that Jeremiah was given by God to the people is the message that Ezekiel carries now that they are in exile. And he gives them his message. And then Ezekiel 3, 1 through 3. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat the scroll, then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll that I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Now that is a strange interaction. God wrote his words on a scroll and then passed them to Ezekiel. And he said, eat those words. Eat this scroll. Ezekiel said, but God, they're written on carbs. (laughs) He didn't. He ate his words. And, And I think the challenge for you and me is, We don't have God's words delivered to us on a platter like he did. We have God's word delivered to us in the Bible. We have God's word delivered to us in the print Bible and the online Bible. We have God's word delivered to us in the audio Bible. We have God's word printed to us or given to us in the large print and the small print. And even the extra large print Bible, God's word is more accessible to us today than it's ever been for any generation before us. And yet, do we dine on it? Jesus says that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When we consider this sovereign Lord is leading us through his word, and would we, would we consume it like Ezekiel did here? By the way, Cowboys fans, I did some study on this. You know that move that Zeke does on the football field? It comes from this passage. When Ezekiel got the word of God and it tasted like honey, he said, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. Not really. Not really. Just trying to make an allusion to sports. But maybe, just maybe, if we saw the word of God as his directions for our life, and he's the one who's in charge, we would say, feed me. And we would feed ourselves. Because God's word, man doesn't live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in his mouth. And then God said to him, go and preach to my people. And he told him, he said, you're going to go preach to people that don't speak a foreign language. They speak your language. You're going to go speak to a people who, like, you're not going to have to learn their culture because you are from their culture. You're not being sent to people in an obscure language who would listen to you. Instead, I'm sending you to the Israelites, your people, and they will not listen to you. And he said, but again, remember, you're responsible for the message, they're responsible, and I'm responsible for the response. So go. And that's what he did. He went out and he preached to the people of God for 20 years so that they might know the sovereign God of the universe so that they might know and acknowledge him. As you think about your life, and as I consider mine, do you really believe? Do I really live? Do I really live 
like God is in charge? Do I pray like God's in charge? Do I obey like God's in charge? I'm kicking myself for one yesterday. We were in Waco and uh, visiting Nick in Parents Weekend. It was a lot of fun, but part of the thing you do when you go to Parents Weekend, apparently, is you take your college student to Walmart. And they are far more appreciative when their college student's going to Walmart than they are when their junior high student's going to Walmart. Like, they're like, wow, thank you. It's, like, it's an ironing board. It's, it's okay. It's an ironing board. Enjoy. But I, I'm kicking myself because as I came out of the store, there was a young lady at the, at the door of the store that said, sir, would you help us with our women's shelter? And I said, no, sorry, not today. I'm wearing my Baylor t-shirt, which means my kid pays a lot of money to go to school. And I look at her and I say, no thanks, not today. And I walked to the car and Christy and the kids were behind me. And I thought, I felt this. You need to go give her the $10 you have in your wallet. I don't want to give her the $10. I only had $13 in my wallet. Plan on get some ice cream. And I sat there and wrestled with God. And I left the parking lot. $13 in my wallet. Do we live like God's in charge? Do we give like God's in charge? If God really is in charge of our days, God really is the sovereign, and he gives us a hope and a promise, what should our lives look like? Let's dig into that together real quickly. In Romans chapter 8, one of the things that I love is we study the Old Testament and we study the New Testament together. We see that God's word is always consistent. In Romans chapter 8 is known as the, the victory cha chapter. A chapter that outlines the victory that we have in Christ. And one of the overarching themes in that chapter is that God is sovereign. He's in charge of the past, he's in charge of the present, and he's in charge of the future. So if you're taking some new steps as a family, God's in charge. If you're moving, God's in charge. If you're looking for your major and what you're going to do with your life, God's in charge. Let's learn together from Romans 8, four principles about the sovereign God and our relationship with him. First one is this. Nothing will stop God's purpose. Nothing. Ezekiel got to see a picture of God where God was sitting on his throne. The, the angels, the living creatures were around him. The gears were turning, a loud rumble. He got to see the glory of God. And he got to see that so he would know that nothing will stop the plan of God. Friends, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you have seen something better than a simple sight of heaven. You have seen heaven come to earth in Jesus Christ. And you have believed in him. And he's given you life. Nothing can stop God's plan. Your sin can't stop God's plan. Your husband can't stop God's plan. Your wife, your boss, your enemy, even your three-year-old, can't stop God's plan because God is sovereign. He's the one who's in charge. And what's his purpose? We see this also 70 times in the book of Ezekiel. 
God's big purpose, his big plan in the world, the thing that no one can stop is the fact that he wants to be known and he wants to be acknowledged. What's God's big purpose? That we would know him and that we would acknowledge him. What's God's big purpose? That the whole world would know him and acknowledge him. That's his purpose that cannot be stopped. And as you think about God's big purpose, last 20 years or so, one of the big questions that gets asked in church life and in our culture in general is, have you found your purpose? Do you know what you exist to do? What are you passionate about? If you can find your purpose and your passion, if you can find why you exist, then you will have some meaning. Let me tell you, you can chase your purpose and still not have any meaning in the world unless you attach to the purpose of God that will not be stopped. You can chase your passion. You can chase your purpose. You can chase your dream all day long. But if it's not attached to the purpose of God, you're missing it. And his purpose that won't be stopped is that he would be known and he would be acknowledged. The second thing we learned from Romans 8 and we learn from the book of Ezekiel, is that God uses people to accomplish his purpose. Might be better said this way, God accomplishes his purpose in people like you and like me. God used Ezekiel to, to, to make sure his people knew that he wanted a relationship with him, that, they wanted a, that he wanted a relationship, God wanted a relationship with them. God used Ezekiel. In fact, God told Ezekiel, these people aren't going to listen to you. They're not going to listen to you so much that I'm going to have to make your forehead like flint. I'm going to make you stronger than the ones that say no to me because I am sending you. I'm going to accomplish my purpose in you and I'm going to accomplish my purpose through you. And when we see that God is sovereign, we look and we say, God, how are you accomplishing your purpose in me today. God, what do I need to do to see your purpose unfold in my life today? One of the most quoted verses in the Bible is Romans 8, 28. And it says that, for we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, this reminds us that on our best days and on our worst days, God is accomplishing his purpose in us. God is accomplishing his purpose every day of our lives if we love him and if we are tapped into his purpose. People have used this verse to come up with the saying that God never said. And that saying is, everything happens for a reason. Don't you hate it when something bad happens in your life and some well-meaning friend comes and says, well, everything happens for a reason. Well, I guess God hates me because this is a bad thing that happened to me. That's the reason. The reason this happened is because I'm a loser that God hates. Thank you very much. Well, God never said that everything happens for a reason. What God said, what the sovereign God of the universe said is that everything works together for your good if you love me if you're called according to my purpose. If you're not loving God and chasing your own purpose, 
you will not see everything work together for your good. Because God's big goal is that you would know and that you would acknowledge him. Number three, just like the book of Ezekiel, we see that within God's rule, God gives us the invitation to hear him and to follow him. There's this tension that goes unresolved in life when you talk about the sovereignty of God. Is God sovereign, in charge, in control? Does God have our days mapped out or does man have free will? I want you to know that God is in charge and man has free will. God's in charge and women get to make decisions for themselves. See, our God is so big that his sovereignty, his sovereignty doesn't limit our choice. In fact, his sovereignty is so grand and perfect. His rule is such that he gives us choice and he's still in charge. That he gives us choice and his plan to be known and acknowledged is still going to be lived out. See, I think it's a very small God that's in charge but doesn't give us choice. But I think we worship a great God who's all-consuming, who is both in charge and gives us choice. Last, there is no limit to God's rule. In Romans chapter 8, we are encouraged to see that nothing can stop the sovereignty, the leadership, the, the rulership of God in our lives. See, Mike, I agree that there are days when God's in charge. I agree. But Mike, there are some days when I wonder, is God still in charge? And when we realize that God, there's no limit to his sovereignty, there's no limit to his control over our lives, we realize that we can have a hope and a promise that no man, no woman, no situation or circumstance can take away. Listen to the word of God. Romans 8, 31. What shall we say then in response to those things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how much more will he also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If you ever wonder, is God sovereign enough and control enough to meet my needs and to provide for me according to what he wants me to have? Yes, he is. He is sovereign in control, and he didn't even limit himself. He gave his son for us. If he would give his one and only to save you, what's he going to withhold from you as you follow him and depend upon him? Nothing. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he's interceding for us. There is no limit to God's rule over our life. Even when we can't see it, even when we don't feel it, the Bible says that Jesus is interceding for us at the right hand of God, which means he's praying for us. God, may they know you, may they acknowledge you. When we don't know what to pray, Romans 8 says that the spirit that God gives us literally groans inside of us. And so God is talking to himself about us and what we need in that moment. 
There is no limit to God's rule. Even when you don't know what to pray, even when you don't know what to say, God's still in charge and he's still leading your life. Mike, is there anything that will limit God's rule in my life? Romans 8, 35 through 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Nothing can separate us. And when you feel like you're in a situation that's marked with trouble and hardship, persecution, famine, danger, nakedness, or the sword, God is still in charge of your life. For as it's written, verse 36, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Does that mean that God's plan isn't fleshed out in this day, in this time, in this moment? Listen to what Paul says, verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. On those days when you wonder, God, are you still in charge? Yes, he is. And you are more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Victory is still yours. Why? Because he's sovereign and you're not. Finish it up. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, no limit to God's rule, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, no limit, what neither the present nor the future, no limit, nor powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, no limit in God's rule. Nothing will be, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, do you need to know today beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's in charge? Well, he is. And it's the best news I can share. He's in charge and you're not. And he does everything so that you will know and acknowledge him. What are you required to do? You're required to be faithful. You're required to be dependent, to be obedient upon him and to trust him. He is the one who works out the results. He is the one that removes the fear. The sovereign God of the universe who will provide everything. You need physical support? He gave you his son. He's not gonna hold anything back. You need spiritual and emotional support? He's praying. Jesus is praying for you at the right hand of God. You need confidence that no one can take away. Well, the Bible says that nothing can separate you from the love of God. You think of it and it cannot separate you from the love of God because he is in charge. So today, may we say to God, feed me so that I may know your sovereignty, so that I may know that you are in charge of my life. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for the chance to open your word today. God, I pray now that you help us to apply it to our lives and to see it come to life in us. God, where we miss it like I did yesterday, may your grace be known. God, I confess that I argued with you. And I said no. And I didn't obey. So I pray knowing that you've forgiven me. But I also pray asking that you, the sovereign one, would help me know how to listen, 
would help me know how to follow, would help me know how to obey. And God, I pray that for all believers gathered together with us right now. God, help us to submit our lives to you. Our purpose is found in your purpose. God, help us to see the hope and the promise that we have in you. As the church prays, if you've never believed in Christ for life, I want to encourage you today. You've been introduced to the one who's in charge of the world. And he gave his son for you to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you, to make you new, to make you his. If you've never believed that simple message that you're a sinner who needs a savior and that Jesus lived a perfect life but then died a criminal's death on the cross for you. They buried him and three days later he was raised again from the dead. If you've never believed that simple message, I invite you to believe right now If today's your day, you can mark it with a prayer. Say, Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a savior and that you are the savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life. Help me as I live this new life with you.